Uh, Mike joins us right now to talk about his new book, Playmakers, How the NFL Really Works and Doesn't. And it is a story, the story of a modern NFL that can't get out of its own way and can't stop making money. Hey, Mike, how are you? Hey, what's up, guys? You know, the first Playmakers is based on 20 years in the NFL. I think I'm going to do a sequel just based on, like, the last three months, <laughs> especially last week. You could do a whole book based on last week. And, and, and the bottom line is, even with all the body blows the NFL's taken, there's still enough bright, shiny objects to distract 95% of the people. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems like, um, a, you know, a theme here is that the NFL can't really get out of its own way, but it doesn't ever seem, unlike other businesses, mm-hmm. it doesn't ever seem to harm them when it comes to revenue. Well, that's right, because people can't get enough of the product. You could almost, it's almost like a Brewster's Millions thing, if that reference isn't extremely dated and no one gets it, but you almost have to try to blow it if you're the NFL. And even if you were trying to blow it, if you were trying to derail, if you were trying to fail, it still wouldn't because people love the product so much, even if the the decisions made behind the curtain, the way that franchises are run, so many different issues that you could talk about for hours and hours, keep the NFL from being as great as it could be, it still is regarded as great by so many people because you turn on a game and you watch it and and you're captivated by it. And it's the ultimate cover for poorly run businesses. Curtis was very interested this morning. In fact, it was his lead at 630 with what you have uncovered with regard to how the Deflategate investigation was handled by the NFL. Well, what happened was when they decided to go forward with the book and we put together an outline of how we were going to look at the last 20 years in the NFL, my editor Ben Adams suggested that I try to find some new stuff, knowing it wasn't going to be easy, but try to find some new stuff, see what's out there that may not already be reported on some of these controversies. And I started digging, and I, I dug, and I dug, and I hit, I hit some pay dirt on Deflategate that I didn't expect to hit because that was one of the most thoroughly covered stories as, as it was happening. I didn't even know that there would be anything new out there to get. But, but obviously we knew all along that somebody lied to Chris Mortensen about the 11 of 12 footballs being – two pounds or more underinflated. And with the passage of time, people forget how significant that was. That was the thing that started the engine. Like before that, it was like, oh, okay, they're looking at the Patriots footballs. Okay, well, that's kind of curious. But then when you see one of the most respected reporters in the NFL definitively say 11 of 12 footballs were underinflated by two or more pounds, that's when the vast majority of football fans immediately concluded that that the Patriots cheated in some way, and it's just a matter of figuring out how and who and when and and, and what the the fallout's going to be. So that gave life to this thing. That turned it into something bigger than it ever should have been. And then on the back end of it, the notion that the NFL did spot checks throughout the 2015 season in all sorts of temperatures and atmospheric conditions. They checked the air pressure in footballs at halftime of games, and lo and behold, the air pressure behaved the way that that those of us who recognized that the numbers, the true numbers, didn't suggest tampering with the footballs on that day, the way that we expected it to operate. On hot days, the pressure goes up. On cold days, the pressure goes down. And the numbers uh, tended to corroborate that the Patriots' numbers, at best, it was inconclusive, I think, that there was any type of tampering. So those numbers were regarded as unfortunate by the NFL, and they were buried for good at the behest of General Counsel Jeff Pash. 
Mike, as a former player, I remember we used to look at the NFL like it was the mafia. And as players, we always felt like we were the foot soldiers that, you know, when guys got into trouble, they took us out back and, you know, they exposed us to everything. Whereas coaches and owners, it seems like these guys are untouchable. You know, you see some coaches. uh, We always talk about uh, Andy Reid's son in Kansas City and how, like, his instances when he gets in trouble doesn't get highlighted as much as, as players is there something like behind the scenes on how owners look out for owners and coaches and when players get in trouble, they try to like say, you know, it's more about the players and the issues that they're dealing with in their daily lives and shining a light more on their problems? And look at this mess in Washington right now. They led us to believe there was going to be an independent investigation into over a decade of toxic workplace misconduct, bullying, sexual harassment. It reached a critical mass. They hired somebody to investigate and we were led to believe that it would be no different than the multi-hundred-page document that Ted Wells generated for Deflategate or all of the information that was put out there for the media to digest as it relates to Bountygate when they were trying to overstate that scandal as something that wasn't a reflection of a broader cultural reality in the NFL that had been in place for years so that they could justify doing whatever they wanted to do to the Saints and Sean Payton. I mean, they... they, they they uh, have hidden so much information about this Washington case, and it finally came together on Friday that the investigation wasn't about getting to the truth and making it available to everyone so they could eradicate these problems and protect people from this kind of behavior in the future. They did the investigation so they could prepare themselves to defend against any litigation that was ever filed, which is a very different type of investigation. But but that's, <laughs> that was never part of how it was couched when they decided that they had to have this investigation. So they, they do protect the other owners. I mean, the bottom line is they go after who they want to go after, and they rarely ever want to go after an owner because the other owners say, hey, you know, it could eventually be me. So we're going to circle the wagons when it's any of us, so we protect each of us, so we reduce the possibility that one of us is going to have to do what Jerry Richardson did five years ago and basically throw in the keys to his team, cash out, and move on. But back to Deflategate for a moment. I mean, essentially, you have what you have found says that it should not have been an issue in the first place. It was it was uh, a, a minor thing, and then the evidence, the general. You're suggesting that the general counsel essentially said, "Let's destroy all the evidence." Correct. The, the evidence that was harvested during the 2015 season when they were doing the spot checks to see how football air pressure actually performed. Because they'd never done this before. They had never tested to see whether or not there were deviations beyond the 12.5 to 13.5 pound acceptable pressure range, a number that's just always been there and nobody knows why it's been there. But, hey, you know, if somebody's beyond it and we decide we want to whack them, we're going to go whack them. Well, they checked and they realized that, You take the footballs out of the locker room. You take them out to the field. On a hot day, the pressure's going up. On a cold day, the pressure's going down. And the numbers were sufficiently close on the cold end, on the cold days, to to cause someone, specifically Jeff Pash, to say when the season ended, get rid of these numbers. And throughout the process, you know, somebody always leaks something when it relates to the NFL, and, and usually because the NFL wants to get it out, so they find a way to leak it. This was something the NFL did not want to get out. No one ever had access to these numbers. They managed to protect those numbers, and then when they got to the end of the season, the order was given to get rid of them forever, which justifiably leads to the conclusion that if we had seen those numbers, 
the, the light bulbs would have gone off coast to coast that even though, even though, yeah, look, the Yastrzemski and McNally text messages were problematic and they suggested that maybe something was going on, but that's one thing. It's not proof that it actually happened on the day that they claimed that it happened. And I don't think they ever had the proof that it happened that day. They always started at the end point and forced their way backward as clumsily as they had to, to justify their conclusion that on that day they caught the Patriots in the act. And it's entirely possible that Brady, McNally, and Dostrevsky had something going on that happened from time to time. But on that day, they didn't catch him. And uh, they, they've, they've been trying to sell for seven years now that they did. Well, I find unbelievable, Mike, having done this for every day for three, four years, whatever it was, is that, as you know, this began with the Mortensen tweet that set it all on fire. It was kind of a funny joke punchline until that happened. And then you have at the end everybody breathlessly reporting on ESPN and elsewhere that Tom Brady destroyed his cell phone. And you're you're saying that the general counsel destroyed the evidence. Like the entire process feels like such a miscarriage of justice. Like at what point did it become we're too far into this? We just need to you know, hang them against the wall because we've invested so much time, money, and manpower leaking out this information that we have to convict them. Well, it all went off the rails at the very beginning, and this is something I've heard from various people connected to the NFL over the years. Under a guy like a Pete Rozelle, if the complaint had been made like the one that came up, instigated by the Ravens, presented by the Colts, former GM Ryan Griggs in the week of the game, what would have happened is Pete Rozelle would have gotten somebody on the phone, Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, whoever needed to be gotten on the phone, and would have said, look, we've gotten this complaint, and you, you need to understand – that, you know, they're concerned, and, and we're, we're, we're paying attention. So, you know, if, 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 if there's anything to any of this, then stop it. If there's nothing to it, then you don't need to do anything. But we're going to pay attention. If we have reason to think that there's something fishy going on, we're going to look into it. And, and, and that would have been the end of it. And assuming that the Patriots would have realized, all right, we've got to stop doing whatever we may have been doing if they were doing anything at all. But in, what happened was they had this narrative – Somebody in the league office, maybe it started with Pash, I don't know, but somebody had this narrative they wanted to enforce on the Patriots. They wanted to try to catch them in the act. And, and so they, they launched this clumsy effort. I mean, it, it, you know, when you look at the details of how they rushed to the locker room, it was almost Keystone Cops-like, where you know, they can't remember what needle they used when they set the pressures, and then which needle was it? Well, it's the needle that we're going to say it was the needle that, that generated you know, numbers that better reflect our narrative. I mean, it, it was a constant exercise in working backward to justify what they wanted to do to the Patriots. And, and, and you know, we remember the reporting at the time, it all started with the idea that uh, – Hang on a second. It started with the idea that the Patriots didn't get punished enough for Spygate. So let's find the first opening we can to whack them again. And that was the opening, apparently. Was that Roger Goodell calling to tell you to stop? Uh, it was, uh, uh, I, I, I can tell by the area code that it's going to be a long morning. <laughs> Mike, that, that was going to be my question because be, between your claims and what's going on with Brian Flores right now, it kind of all goes into the integrity of the game. So how does the league respond to something like this once, once you come forward with all these numbers and, and what actually went down? Oh, I, you know, I gave them an opportunity to respond when I was writing the book. I sent two different emails. And the way they deal with me is, 
you know, if I ask a question that they want the answer out there, they immediately respond. Sometimes they don't even ask the question if it's something they want out there. When they don't want to answer the question, when it's an inconvenient question, they ignore the first effort. So I have to remember to ask again. And sometimes I do, and frankly, sometimes I don't because I'm constantly bouncing around with other things that I'm working on. So I guess they're smart about how they do that. I ask a second time. And they'll ignore me again. And usually on the third time, I'll either get an answer or a no comment. Well, I sent two different emails with this one. I didn't even try a third, uh, and they never responded. So they, they've known about this for months. They've known it was going to be part of the book, and I haven't gotten any pushback yet. Now that it's out there, who knows? But you know what? they got enough to do with Like you mentioned, with Flores and the Washington situation, and there's two important aspects to the Flores case, which are very different. Uh, the, the racial side of it we've known about, the biases in the hiring of coaches, the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, the, the evidence is out there. I think the case proves itself. It was just a matter of finding somebody who was willing to be the plaintiff. But as to this idea that Stephen Ross offered $100,000 to Brian Flores to deliberately lose games in the 2019 season, I mean, that's something that is going to be a huge mess for the NFL, apparently, in this age of legalized gambling and all the money the NFL is making from that. And they initially reacted to everything Brian Flores said by saying his claims are without merit. Yeah. By the end of the week, they were singing a very different song. Well, but, but how do they do that? How is their initial statement, you know, there's no merit to it whatsoever without any kind of an investigation whatsoever? Because that's what they do. And, you know, I talked to somebody about it. How do you think that happened? It's like, well, Pash told the PR people to say the claims are without merit because that's what the lawyers do. The lawyers are wired to deny, deny, deny. And in this case, their knee-jerk reaction, as the lawsuit came through the door, was to say the claims are without merit. And if you look at the memo that Roger Goodell sent to the teams on Saturday, which was focused on the racial bias portion of the claims, but at the very end there's a paragraph about integrity of the game and that they will investigate those claims as well, there's clearly merit there. There's obviously merit there. And, you know, the fact that most, most people who file a, an employment lawsuit after they've lost a job or been denied a job, they really have nothing to lose. Brian Flores has everything to lose. He's coming to the table with his career. He's taking the calculated risk that he's never going to coach again in the NFL. And, and I said from the get-go, what he is putting up to advance this effort makes everything he's saying necessarily more credible than somebody who's just rolling the dice with nothing to lose. He's got everything to lose, and he's saying these things and making these allegations. And, and, and I just think in my mind it, it makes it more believable from the get-go, and we'll see how it all plays out. Have you heard anything from Brady or Brady's people since these uh, allegations or uh, findings were made public in the last, uh, whatever, 12-plus hours? No, I haven't, no. And I, I think from his perspective, it's so many years after the fact, he doesn't want to go dredge that up. It's time. It's You know, he's moved on. Um, he, it's the kind of thing where if he sees it, there'll probably be a half-smile of satisfaction or acknowledgement that he knew all along it was B.S., and, uh, you know, they, I mean, it, it didn't come up at all last week when he retired. Roger Goodell issues this glowing statement. I mean, this is the guy that suspended the best player in football for four games and, and was determined to make that suspension stick. It's, you know, it's like the mere passage of time transformed it to something that never even happened. Right. Well, the book is called Playmakers, How the NFL Really Works and Doesn't. And, Mike, thanks for being on this morning. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Great talking to you.